What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. I'm Savannah. And I'm Lilith. So today's another Patreon grab bag episode, Scrotation Edition. Is this a Scrot Strike Back episode? All scrotes all the time. We put them in the back of the line because, quite frankly, they can wait. Yeah, like, we respond to feedback from women with greater urgency than feedback to men. We're like, a guy will complain to us, and we're like, yeah, we can wait, like, six months before we have to respond to this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you've been waiting a while for us to answer your question... Six months turn around. Some of these are questions that we got in our scrote strike back here, like, six months ago. I'm not going to apologize for how long it took to us. Hey, it's five. Yeah. Maybe like five. Five months. <laughs> but we're here now. And if they have a problem, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. So first up is a question from Weesh. When it comes to deepening the relationship, what it says is whose job is it to ask if the other person, if they are ready for more? For all manner of physical and emotional things from can I hold your hand to can we talk about being exclusive? Is it fine for either person to ask? From the handbook FAQ, it seems like you're expecting the male to ask, but I don't know if that's male impatience or a female dating strategy to wait for them. In my relationships, I've been inclined to try and figure out if it's time for me to ask, but several women have said things like, you should call me on all days we don't meet up. In this case, I had been moving too slowly or let's talk about getting engaged. My opinion is that she asked this a little quickly since we'd only been dating about five months. So let's answer the first part of the question before we get to the second part of the question. There's a second part of the question here. I think if you're in a relationship and the woman wants to get married faster than the man wants to get married, I don't think that's a relationship that works. Like I think the man should know from a very early time that he wants to marry the woman. When I meet like older couples that are like happily married, Most of the time, you never hear like, oh, you know, she bullied me into marrying her, right? It's always like, I knew from the first moment that she was going to be my wife someday. And I just had to prove myself to her and blah, blah, blah. You know, like the man knows from a very early time that she's his soulmate and he works for that. Whereas if she has to force him to marry you, like if she has to force the man to marry her, it's not going to be a happy marriage. So don't waste your time. Even if she has to force the conversation, because I think even in this day and age, you know, Lilith gave the example of older couples who are happily married, but even the the younger couples I know who are happily married, when the woman was constantly bringing up marriage and almost like badgering the guy into marrying them, like those relationships are quite terrible, whereas the high value relationships that I know even amongst people in their 30s or early 30s, it's like the man always knew. The man's more into her than she is into him. Yeah, and they knew like pretty much instantly that they were going to get married. They may not, I mean, like a high value man wouldn't say that on like the second date. Yeah, we're going to get married, but they know and they'll be working towards that constantly in the background. Yeah, so I want to say straight out the gates, if you're with a woman and she wants to get married and you're so-so about it, don't waste your time, honestly. Agree. It's because you know, like, I think it's just one of those things that, like, you're either feeling it or you're not. You can't convince somebody into wanting a marriage with them. It's almost like trying to convince people into finding you attractive. It never works. This is why I'm just better off to just walk away. I think this goes for most of the relationship as well. I mean, his first question was, whose job is it to ask if the other person is ready for more? Because and he referenced things like holding hands or talking about being exclusive. And in general, we recommend that the man initiate these conversations because when women tend to initiate these conversations, that means that they're way more invested than the man is, in which case they're more likely to be exploited by that man than not. Because if a man's not sure, it's not to say that 
you know, sunshine and rainbows should be falling out of your ass in his eyes, like maybe the first time you, but like, he should still be making movement toward some kind of exclusivity. He should be making movement towards talking to you about like sexual contact and what's comfortable for you, because that shows a person who's thoughtful and concerned about how you feel about it as well as a person who's invested in how you feel about it. If a woman pushes a man to this, it's easy for him to just lie about whatever he wants in order to get sex. Like the incentive for men to lie in order to get sex and physical contact is really high, uh, more so than vice versa. Yeah, so here's the second part of his question. Also, the discussions in the FDS sphere don't seem to concern themselves much with specific milestones between want to go on a date and, quote, sex. Y'all talk about not rushing to sex, but I don't see a ton about the healthy path to getting closer and especially not for the woman who will not want sex until marriage, which has been true for everyone whom that line has come up with me so far. Every woman you've been with wanted to wait till marriage? Interesting. I mean, maybe he lives in a conservative part of the world or quite a religious part of the world. I don't know. Was part of a religious community? I don't know. So is he asking us how to go from date to sex without marriage? Is that what he's asking us? Because we're not going to answer that question. <laughs> That's not a question we're going to answer. Like, what is he asking for? He's like, what is the healthy path from going on a date to getting to sex? But that's going to vary between individual women. And even if we did know the blueprint answer, there is no way we would let scrotes know that. Like, it's just like when women say, like, I'm not going to have sex until I'm in a relationship. You've sort of given the guy an exam and told him the answer, which is really silly. A woman will have sex with you like when she's ready to. And that is it. So I think this is a religious thing because he says, especially makes emotional lines like, are we boyfriend and girlfriend and shall we be exclusive blurry when comparing to physical lines like, can I kiss you? One woman I dated didn't want to kiss until we were engaged and one wanted to wait to kiss until we were married, which was fine by me, but my experience seems atypical. Would like a strategy for feeling out how to fit between, I can't tell if this guy is excited about me and whoa, this guy is moving too fast for most women. So it seems like he's trying to figure out like, how does he communicate that he finds a woman attractive and wants to have sex with her in a way that's not going to come on too strong and make her uncomfortable. But also like if he's not coming on strong enough that the woman thinks he doesn't have interest. I mean, it's tough because it sounds to me like, again, he's living in a very conservative culture because at least where I'm from, which is like West Coast. <laughs> West Side. West Side for life. <laughs> like, guys pretty much want to have sex on the first date. And like, it's not that uncommon for women to go along with that. West Canada, born and raised. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's way more laid back when it comes to sex, right? Straight out the maple forest. Trying to teach this girl how to ask for sex in a way that's not weird. Yeah, like... I don't know how to answer that question. I don't even want to answer that question. I guess like the simple answer is like, you should have a conversation with her and get to know like her boundaries and respect those boundaries. If a woman says that she doesn't want to kiss until she's engaged with you, then honestly, like queen, good for her. Like, I support that. Like, what do you want me to tell you? Like how to negotiate her out of her boundaries? Cause we're not going to answer that question. Like, it seems like he's worried about like how to find where her boundaries are or like where the boundaries are for most women and what's typical. Your experience, sir, this guy's name is Weesh, is atypical. Yeah, most women do not want to wait till marriage. And quite frankly, not to offend the religious folks, but I don't recommend you wait till marriage because then you're, <laughs> yeah, you are buying a product you haven't tested that you have to have for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's what we're saying to women, by the way, right? Like, honestly, though, if a woman does want to wait till marriage to have sex, again, like, I'm not going to argue with her standards, but like, I would advise women to, yeah, test the product, the product in this case being men. 
And like I said, because I was part of Christian culture, there's so many women who went that route and regret it. I mean, not that they regret necessarily not sleeping around, but because they had a lack of experience and insight, they didn't understand what it was going to take to maintain a sexual relationship and what it like their sexual boundaries and what was going to be healthy for them in their marriage. I mean, probably the most infamous cases like Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey, like she was a virgin. They got married. They got married and they were divorced like less than two to three years later. And then she allegedly like, yeah, went crazy after that. Because like once you understand, you know, who you are as a sexual being, it may be different from your partner the partner that you married. So I think it's somewhat better to kind of start discovering that before you make a commitment. But okay, so yeah, to answer this guy's question, yes, your experience is very, very atypical. And so if you're dealing with women who are uh, quite religious, then you definitely have to explicitly talk to them about like how your sexual boundaries are going to proceed and respect. I think at that point, you just have to ask them because it's not a typical thing, in which case they're going to communicate where their comfort level is. If they want to wait to kiss until you're engaged or wait to kiss or wait to have sex and you get married, then that's what it is. And then you just have to tell them very honestly, like, I'm attracted to you. I like you. Like show your willingness to wait for them to feel comfortable with your proceeding with sex with whatever boundaries that they've set. So I think why it's awkward is because of the fact that the boundaries are about between like talking to someone and then getting to marriage are going to be really, really long. So then like if you start touching someone and you just want to hold their hand, like you end up having to stop a lot and you have to do that for a long period of time before you're ready for marriage. But I do also think like it is possible to be intimate without like sex. Because also sex doesn't necessarily, it should equal intimacy in my view of sex, but it doesn't always, it isn't always an intimate thing as well. So you kind of have to think about the in-between stages and doing things together because intimacy isn't always physical. And I would argue, at least for me, the greatest amounts of intimacy that I've experienced have actually been like emotional and like mental as well. So just really getting to know them and doing things together, getting to know each other, just having a good time can also be a substitute for that intimacy that you're not obtaining through sexual activity, if that makes sense. Yeah, you would still have to have these conversations even if you were having sex right away. So there's nothing necessarily awkward about this. The only thing that makes it awkward is like having to start and stop a lot because they have boundaries that are a little bit higher than most. But like other than this, like you just have the conversation, just ask them and be like, hey, like I like you, see if she flirts back, see if she acquiesces. I don't think we necessarily have a problem. I don't think any woman has a problem with a man who they've agreed to go on a date with and continue to see expressing their interest in a respectful manner. The creepy like coming on too strong and pushy thing is when you start to like push her physical boundaries and she hasn't given you any indication that she's open to that or she's explicitly told you not to. So if you go in for a kiss after she's already said, oh, I don't want to kiss till I'm engaged, then yeah, then you're going to come across like a creep. Even if this was like a typical woman who, you know, wants to have sex, you know, within maybe the first couple of weeks or months of a relation of uh, initiating a relationship, like you start with small types of touch, right? And then you start to see if that person reciprocates. Like this is where communication comes in and your ability to respect women's boundaries, both like physical, verbal and nonverbal. If you like go to hold her hand, she pushes and she like, you know, yanks it away, then that's probably an indication that she's not really interested in anything physical beyond that. That's kind of a low investment. That's not going to make or feel like you're attacking her also in terms of like giving compliments and stuff like you can verbally communicate interest even like interest in her physically without coming across like creepy or like you can compliment someone's appearance in a way that's not like sexually objectifying right you can say 
oh, your eyes are so beautiful. Oh, you look great today. Oh, this outfit looks fantastic on you or something like, oh, your hair looks great, whatever, right? Like those are compliments that when women give me compliments like that, for example, I'm like usually like positive about it. And sometimes when men give me compliments like that, as long as it's not like a leering kind of creepy way, then I don't have a problem with that either, right? Like you can, you know, if you were to say like, oh, I love your tits or something, <laughs> send nudes, then she's probably going to have a problem with that, right? So you can compliment someone physically in a respectful way. And that's a good way of communicating that you're interested. Yes. So to answer your question, verbal communication, just talk to her, ask her, that would happen if you had sex or not. And then nonverbal communication, small acts of getting close, like just grab, you know, if you want to hold her hand, et cetera, and then respect her boundaries if she sets them physically. All right. Next up on the docket is a scrote strike back question from infamous cheater. Didn't ask about the name. <laughs> infamous cheater. Okay. Right out the gates. Great start. <laughs> Great start. Just really priming us to be sympathetic to you and answer your question, honestly. So, uh, hello, Ro, R-O-U-E-X-K, Lilith and Savannah. (laughs) 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 Nice try. I have enjoyed your podcast. I find it entertaining and it's very refreshing to hear women talk so candidly and brutally honest the way you do. I have a few questions, but find myself too busy to ask, but this one popped into my head today and I wanted to send it out ASAP as it's important to me. What was the date that he sent this out? The date? Um, <laughs> this was set like July 28th-ish. Somewhere around that time is when I copied over. Somewhere around the end of July. So a month ago. Okay. So we're only getting to it two months late now. It's currently, date of this recording is August 28th. Okay. Oh wait, no, July. It was, okay. So one month actually. I thought you said June. Yeah. So only one month delay. That's actually not so bad. Yeah. You're welcome, sir. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome for getting back to you in a timely manner. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a daughter that's about to be 12 and like any low value male, I was cruising Reddit. At least, you know, at least you're self-aware. All right. So I'm kind of, all right. Self-aware wolves. I'm middling right now. Infamous cheater to a uh, low value male who cruises Reddit. When I stumbled upon an Ask Woman thread, I'm assuming he went to our Ask Women, when I stumbled onto an Ask Women thread about how they deal with hitting adulthood and being sexualized. All the comments, however, were anecdotes about being sexualized long before adulthood and some even before they were even 10. So fucking gross exclamation point. This raised my concerns for what is possibly already happening to her. She is a very small, thin girl. She's at that age where she will be left at her own more and more. And I live in a city where a decade ago, a mass murderer of women was convicted and sentenced. And occasionally a young woman still goes missing. So to finalize my questions, what do you wish you knew at this age? What else can I do to protect her? What's the best way to broach the subject? And would asking of this be better coming from a woman? What was the question that asked woman thread? The Ask Women thread was, how do women deal with hitting adulthood and being sexualized? And the comments underneath that thread were saying, ha ha. Like, you think we get sexualized when we hit adulthood? That happens way before then. Okay. Exactly. So he was surprised to read that. And he says he has a daughter that's about 12. And he wants to know, what do we wish we knew at that age? What else can he do to protect her? What's the best way to broach the subject? And would this subject be better broached coming from a woman than him? Okay, this is like four questions in one. I sense boundary busting here, but continue. Well, he says here, he says, just a quick note. My wife has no stories like these and says many of them are fake. That's why I ask you ladies. I'm like, yeah, no, that's, I mean, I don't know why your wife doesn't have these stories, but the rest of us do, or a large portion of us do. I'm kind of shocked he was surprised to hear the experiences of women. Like, do you not go outside? (laughs) I think he was surprised at how young it was. 
But why are they surprised? Like, why are they surprised that men ogle, like, young women and girls? Like, again, step outside. (laughs) It happens all the time. But also, there's literally been studies where they asked women, what was the age that you first started getting, like, sexual tension from men? Like, the graph, like, peaked around, like, 11 or 12, right? There were girls, yeah, getting hit on as young as nine, right? So that was my experience, too. Yeah, I was getting sexual harassment when I was, like, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Same. And I was super unfortunate as well because I physically developed really early. So I went like through PBE from like eight onwards. So it was pretty horrendous. What do we wish we knew when we were 10, 11 and 12? I'm guessing he might not know because I'm sure that when he's out with his daughter, the predators hide. So it might not be something that I'm like, when I think of all the times I was harassed, it's because that's around the age where girls start to be more independent. So like going to the mall or the park with your friends by yourself or to school, etc. So then because you're starting to venture out in the world without your parents, that's when predators are on high alert and you know try to snatch you up. I'm trying to think, what do I wish I would have known at the time? I'll be honest, like, I actually don't think it's a good thing to teach girls about the depths of male depravity too young, because that can be really traumatizing. And I would want young girls to have as much time where like the mental weight of being aware of misogyny and aware of male sexual predators and stuff, I'd want young girls to have as much time to live their lives like feeling safe and free and not mentally weighed down by that knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, as I feel like kids very young, they don't have the resilience and like maturity and like coping mechanisms and so on that adults do. So I'd actually want to like, you want to give her opportunities to be independent, but also, you know, don't like do too much like stranger danger, fear mongerings. You know, my mom did these really fucked up things where she would like take articles out of the newspaper about like rapists or like robbers and stuff and would like, oh, you know, in our neighborhood or whatever. So my dad had this thing where he would kept forgetting to lock the door. And so the way that my mom would like try to scare my dad into, you know, remembering to lock the door by taking newspaper articles of like, oh, there's like a serial killer in our neighborhood, you know, there's a cat burglar, rapist, whatever, pedophile, kidnapper, whatever, right, in our neighborhood. But me and my sister would see this stuff and we're like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And that scared the shit out of us to like learn about these things at such a young age. And yes, it did scare my dad into locking the door at night, you know, but at what cost, right? At the cost of our innocence. (laughs) I wish he didn't do that. (laughs) See, I somewhat disagree. I think there are ways to make children aware of the facts of life, so to speak, without traumatizing them. And it's important that we do that because if you don't, you know, tell your kids the truth, they will get the information from the media, from their friends, from pornography, basically, you know, sources that don't have their best. Or from the pedophiles themselves, for that matter. Or from the pedos themselves, exactly. And we also need to not underestimate the mental capacity of children. Like, children know what's up. This is why, you know, children bully, for example. They know that bullying behaviour is shitty. That's why they do it to certain children and not to others, right? They have that awareness that this behaviour is going to make someone feel shit. That's why I'll do it to somebody who's not going to fight back, for example. It's also why in the child and practitioners who work within, you know, child sexual abuse, there's a campaign going on about referring to parts of the female body as they are. So instead of, you know, calling your, you know, vagina my flower, just teaching children that it's a vagina. So if a child is being touched inappropriately, they'll know that because they're being touched on their vagina, which is inappropriate, for example. So I think there is a way to spread the message to children without traumatizing them. But we have to tell them early on because unfortunately, even, you know, young children, especially if we look at, you know, what they're being exposed to in the media, they're also not immune to things like racism, 
to homophobia and to misogyny as well. Like the number of of my colleagues and my friends who have children who say like their eight-year-old is being, you know, racially abused or they've been attacked for their sexuality or or the fact they've come out as gay at like eight and by other children is horrendous. So children know what these things are. You know, they know what discrimination is. So there's no reason why, especially young girls, they can't know about the true nature of men in a way that doesn't traumatise them, obviously. So obviously, like, I don't agree with, like, showing children, you know, videos of other children being raped, which was actually the norm up until a few years ago in the UK, where in training for these sorts of things, children would be shown traumatising material. That's inappropriate. But we can tell children about that in a child-friendly way whilst making them aware, and also in a way that keeps them safe as well. But it's important to be aware, I think. I'm going to agree with Savannah because especially depending on the environment, you absolutely have to tell them about the reality of men as soon as they have the capacity to understand it in bits and pieces to not confuse them. But especially if you're like a latchkey kid or something like that, like you've got to know about stranger danger. So for me, the way it was talked to me is like my parents are very candid. Like there's these things called pedophiles. They're older men. They want to have sex with children. They're going to try to touch you. They try to do inappropriate things. Now, the toxic part of the conversation is that they attributed some of that to this to me and the way I was dressed, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the part where I think you have to cut all of that old programming that used to be standard with girls about teaching them like to internalize the shame of men's predatory behavior. So what I wish I knew at that age is that like the way that men talk to you is not your fault because like, oh, just had to like pull back some tears there. But like what's really painful is like when that's happening to you and like your parents, they shamed you so much for your physical appearance and like the reaction to that, like you don't feel comfortable talking to them when it's happening to you, like when predatory men are around you and you have to tell them in a way that externalizes it. Teach your daughters to be disrespectful as fuck to men they don't know. Yeah, yes. <laughs> seriously, no, seriously, like the saving grace for me is that I had a shitty relationship with my father. So I got very comfortable with disrespecting adult men, right? <laughs> so, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I feel like compared to some of my other friends who were a lot more naive because they could, <laughs> maybe because they had their fathers in their lives, ironically. Their dads weren't like a complete and total fuck up. So they just assume most men aren't complete and total fuck up. Yeah, to be fair, that's what happened to me. Like, my dad spoiled me in that regard. Like, I thought all men thought the same as he did, that they were equitable, that they gave a shit about their kids and their wife. (laughs) (laughs) See, I think kids should be aware of, like, both types of adults, right? Like, I think kids should have, like, positive male role models in their life that are, like, for me, my grandfather, my dad's dad was, like, I've talked about him before, is, like, what I consider, like, high-value man, really respectful to women, you know, talked about, like, you know, knowledgeable in a lot of areas, loved, you know, teaching me about, like, nature and having, you know, encouraging education in myself and my sister and so on, right? So, it's good to have good men like that as, like, a positive influence of, like, that's the standard of what you can expect a good man to be like. I hate to say it, but, like, having fuck-up adult men in your life to, like, point at and, like, (laughs) disrespect, that's an example of a bad man and the sort of man that we should, you know, shame and ignore and avoid, right? I mean, for me personally, I'm going to start on my niece as soon as possible. Like, she's going to know what a scrote is the minute she can start talking. Because then if she can verbalise it, then that's better for her. 
So I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna start on her as soon as she's like able to communicate. Because ultimately, if we try to, I guess, to sugarcoat the reality, what is end up gonna happen is that these women will find out eventually, and it will usually be a very long and very painful lesson, especially when they are older. And those behavior patterns are a lot more difficult to break. So children there, because I'm currently doing an MA in psychology, and there's a lot of talk around the personality and when it's set and how it's formed. And even though, you know, psychologists, they can't agree on when the end, the end personality is formed because it changes throughout the lifetime so much, but they emphasize the importance of development, of the development years and how patterns are set and like how behavioral patterns are set as well. I mean, I was speaking to one of uh, my lecturers who she had a difficult child and she was saying that she read a research study. I'll have to ask her where it's from and see if I could drop it in the show notes that said that If, you know, something like misogyny is not, I guess, like taken out of a young boy by the time he's 13, he'll have those belief patterns for the rest of his life. So if you think about it from the time a child starts becoming more independent around the age of eight to 13, that's a window of five years. It's not very long. And so if we do the flip side, you know, I guess like for young girls, and if we don't teach them about misogyny by the time they are 13, is according to the research, it's, you know, likely that they will at least carry some disordered form of thinking around misogyny and their place in the world um, into the rest of their, of their late teens and early adulthood. And by that point, it's very, very difficult to unlearn those behavioral patterns. This is why you see, like, you know, pick me who go out sad as well. You just never learn their lesson. I do think that women have a greater window of learning than boys. I feel like, yeah, boys, if they haven't learned how to act right by the time they're 13, yeah, like, it's... Game over! Game over! (laughs) I don't want to say game over, but it's much, much, much more difficult. And change has to come from within. Like, after a certain age, it's like they have to be the ones to take the initiative to change. It's not externally, it's much more difficult to make them change, right? I find women, we've gotten up until I think like 25 or so, like there are some women who've gone, you know, late teens, early 20s being pygmies and stuff. And then around the age of 23, 24, 25, something happens in the brain and you like suddenly learn from all of your terrible experiences with men and you're like, fuck men, you know? And so I think women have a greater window of opportunity to learn male depravity. But I guess I agree with both of your perspectives. I think what my concern is, I would want girls to be taught a sort of like mental resiliency before learning the full extent of male depravity. So there are other ways that you can like instruct girls in the way of mental resiliency. I'm number one being sports. Obviously, I've talked about that before, like, you know, teaching girls to really love their bodies in a way for what they can do and not for how they look and stuff. And also, you know, learning like teamwork and, you know, just building their confidence and stuff, right. And just really appreciating their bodies for what they can do and for the strength that they have. That's one And the other one is like teaching girls that it's okay to disrespect shitty men from a young age. That's a great idea, bro. We should actually normalize that completely. I'm dead serious. And that's why it's so important for like, you know, as her father to like never be the person that's overly disciplinarian with her because you cannot teach your daughter that a man can put his hands on her, but also that he has a right to control her. And that's the tough thing as a father, because I see a lot of these like super conservative dads that are like, oh, I'm going to sit on my porch with a shotgun and be like the patriarch and scare away all the wolves, so to speak, or the predatory men. But that is like the exact wrong way to do it. Because first of all, you'd have to teach your daughter how to recognize it for herself because you won't be around her 24-7. Like, and quite frankly, you have to instill her with a certain level of independence in the way that she deals with men and has confidence in setting her boundaries and getting away from predatory men when you're not there. And that comes with teaching her to be comfortable disrespecting the fuck out of adult men. 
all of the time. Every single girl from the time she's a toddler or can speak should be learning how to curse at and throw rocks at and disrespect men. (laughs) It should just be deeply ingrained and like reflexive almost. Teach girls audacity. (laughs) Teach girls audacity, right? That's the thing. Girls don't have enough audacity. Like male audacity is celebrated from a young age and girls are taught like, "Mm, like, you know, oh, that's unladylike. Oh, like, you know, they're constantly punished for having audacity. Young girl audacity should be celebrated, honestly. Yeah, all the girls that I know that had trouble, like that had boyfriends that were way older or were more susceptible to be preyed upon because the type of girls I would have gone off with a guy because he gave like a good story. And I've had, unfortunately, very naive friends that way. Not something as simple as like, oh, come look at the candy in the back of my truck or something like that. But like, you know, things that were clearly a guy that was trying to hit on us and take us to a second location. The thing that happens is like, for whatever reason in their household, either because their father or somebody in their family was a boundary pushing creep, or because he never taught them that they had the right to say no or stand up for themselves, they didn't know how to do that with men outside of the home either. So you have to like teach your daughter self-efficacy and teach her that she doesn't have to respect anyone's opinions, but her own, especially not boys or men. Like if she gets in trouble at school for like, say a guy's like harassing her. This happened actually to me all the time as a kid. For all my parents' flaws, one thing they really, really did right is that I got in trouble at school often. I had conflicts with boys from a very young age. No, really? No, okay. <laughs> yeah. This has like been going on since I was really young. Yeah. So one of the things my parents did right is that when I got in trouble at school and a boy was like harassing me or whatever, and I like punched him in the face or like, cause I was, you know, up until the, around the age 12, I was bigger than all of the other boys in my class. Like I grew really fast and then just stopped at the age of 12. But up until then, yeah, I was just physically larger than them. So I could like, if guys were bothering me, yeah, I physically put them in their place. And sometimes I got in trouble at school. My parents were always like, yeah, pick me up, you know, at lunch or whatever happened. And instead of like admonishing me, they'd be like, good job, Lilith. Like, good on you for defending yourself. Like, they'd be proud of me. (laughs) So that's another thing. It's like when your daughter defends herself, don't discourage that. Like, encourage that. Be proud of her. Even if they kind of did it for fucked up reasons, I still think that was a good call. Exactly. So the next question he had was, what's the best way to broach the subject? And would it be better coming from a woman? Find a really stupid looking dude and just get your daughter real comfortable with disrespecting them. I'm not kidding. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Like who was the fat male, like family fuck up? Like every family's got one, like, you know, some creepy uncle, like every family has one guy. That's like the fuck up that everyone else just dunks on. Like get, you know, include her on that, honestly. Because he's probably going to go in on her anyways. Like the last ditch effort of completely useless men who have lost all respect of the people around them is to try to dominate and bully the young girls in the family. So you got to get her like reflexively knowing how to stand up for that stuff. And let's face it, those are the type of guys that are often the pedophiles and creeps hanging out like outside the mall and shit. You already know, you already probably have a fuck up cousin or fuck up uncle or fuck up brother. And that's the exact type of person hanging out at the mall after school trying to get like teenage girls to talk to him and stuff. So if you have some character like that, be frank about what he's like. Encourage your daughter's ability to speak when he's speak on men when they're fucking up and be disgusted with them. Yes. And also just talk about stranger danger, right? Whenever they start to go out, wanting to go out with their friends, et cetera, and wanting to assert independence, like have the stranger danger talk. You should start having that from the time they're small children, but like, especially at the time when they're starting to go out without you, then have the stranger danger talk. 
And also, in addition to the stranger danger talk as well, you need to also talk about the inappropriate attention that they can get from people that you know, so your friends and family as well. That's even more uncomfortable because a lot of parents like to think that every child is abused by a stranger outside the home when actually, statistically speaking, your child is a lot more likely to be subjected to abuse inside the home, so by somebody that they know, than by a stranger on the street as well. So you need to also have that conversation and make sure that they feel comfortable coming to you to talk about it if they do have something inappropriate to report because from my experience working in the field many women not many women but many children even they don't feel comfortable you know saying that you know daddy's friend is being inappropriate with me because they're worried about what their dad will think if they were to report that incident or whether they will be blamed or not believed as well and so have a frank discussion around I guess the strangers and the weirdos inside the home as well so your family your friends extended family because they are more likely to be predatory towards your daughter than people outside the home as well. Exactly. And I don't think this matters if it's coming from a man or a woman. If anything, it's better coming from a man because you can probably teach her how to disrespect men in ways we can't think of, right? Because you are a man. So be creative. Maybe do a vision board of all the ways you can disrespect a man. <laughs> Just like start to- <laughs> a vision board. <laughs> do a vision board and like a cloud map of uh, the best ways to tell men to fuck off. <laughs> If he does this, then do this. If that happens with this. <laughs> exactly. So all of the, like, okay, draw out like a caricature of a man, almost like a hangman, and then circle all the weak spots. Like maybe circle his scalp and say, you can insult his scalp. Show like where <laughs> <laughs> Point in his neck, be like, it only takes six seconds of pressure there to cut off blood flow to the brain. Just saying. <laughs> Put her in martial arts, put her in like self-defense courses, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, something like that. Teach her to defend herself. Teach her to think on her feet, which martial arts can do, but also like a good game of the dozens can also do. Situational awareness and yeah, being able to think on your feet and react in real time. A lot of women and girls in those situations, they go into freeze mode. And so there has to be some kind of teaching her to uh, react in a way that's going to protect herself, either flight or fight. Those are actually the preferable things because a lot of times the predators rely on women going into freeze mode to attack them. So yeah, get her real comfortable insulting and disrespecting. (laughs) Thus saith FDS. Yeah, thus saith the Lord, aka Ro. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And here endeth the lesson. Okay, so another Scrotes strike back question from M Day. Greetings, FDS. I've been listening to your podcast and I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I particularly like the talks about how pornography is problematic. For that reason, your guest, Dr. Gail Dines, was a great addition to the show. I never liked pornography because so much of it is violent. We love Gail Dines too. So even the regular scenes involving a guy jackhammering a girl in the rear end and the loud moaning is so disturbing to me. I'm a romantic at heart. I want to cuddle and kiss and full embrace when I meet a woman to get close with. When I date, however, I conceal any sexual interest I have in the woman. I don't get flirty on the first date. I don't touch her arm and I never kissed on a first date. I do this to avoid coming off as a creep and advancing too quickly. I put my best foot forward by being friendly first and seeing if we have any good conversation. Is this the right strategy? I should employ or does the lack of flirting and touch ruin the woman's interest in me as a dating prospect? It's very similar to the first question we had. Seems like a lot of men are unsure how to proceed because of wanting to show interest but not creep a girl out. Yeah. 
I will say that a lot of the guys that I've been physical with, like we had, you know, a sort of sexual chemistry long before any physical touching took place. And that can be kind of hard to gauge, I guess, especially for the kind of guy that's like any woman who smiles at me, I'm in love with her kind of thing, you know? He continues here and says, if the latter is true, meaning does the lack of flirting and uh, make a woman seem that I'm not interested in ruin me as a dating prospect, the latter is true. Does pick me culture have any influence on women judging men as dating prospects based on how sexually evocative they are on the first couple of dates? Lastly, if I didn't feel any initial connection on the first date, should I still try and arrange a second date if there are no red flags and the woman didn't seem repulsed by me? So once again, guys are always trying to like fit in a lot of questions here. (laughs) So yeah, so he's basically just asking, okay, how do I initiate physical contact with a woman without... So she knows I'm interested, but doesn't creep her out. Do men who are more forward sexually on the, f- the first couple of dates, are they more successful? Is it pick me culture that makes women more susceptible to guys doing that? And then lastly, should I arrange a second date if there weren't any red flags and the woman didn't seem repulsed? So to answer your last question, before we get into the meat of the other one, like if you didn't feel the initial connection on the first date, I would still go for a second date if there's no red flags and she didn't say she was repulsed by you. Like cause the worst thing she could do is say no. And then you'll know or, or ghost you. So I think if you still like her and you still want to pursue it and she hasn't like rejected you, then I think it's fine to ask again. Again, I sort of feel like you know, though, if somebody's into you or not. I assume men are very stupid. Like just assume he's very clueless. <laughs> I feel like women know when a man is interested in her, but men are very bad at telling if a woman is into them. Because again, the men, they're interested. In fact, there wasn't there also a study on this also where men think that attractive women are more into them. Like they're attracted to the attractive women and they just assume that the attractive woman feels that way about him. Like they project their own attraction onto other women. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Like they have no clue how to gauge women's interests. So I think why we keep getting this question is because they really don't get it. Yeah. And they tend to confuse like the sort of normal sort of politeness that women have to strangers or, you know, just regular friendliness. They tend to confuse that with sexual interest. I would say that like a woman smiling at you and being friendly is very different. You know, when a woman is into you, it's like, I don't know, at least I feel like I make it obvious. Like I'm like looking at him more. I'm like making effort to like be in his line of sight more. I don't know, giving him an attitude maybe like (laughs) in a flirty kind of way, you know? You're an extrovert too. So I feel like with us who are extroverts, so depends on the woman. For those of us who are more extroverted, we're more likely to flirt back with you in ways that are more obvious. But there's a lot of women for whom that's not true. They're way more subtle. And I think that's why some guys are kind of confused about whether or not the date's going well and whether or not the woman's interested. Yeah, that's like me to be fair. I mean, I'm like that if I don't know. Like I'll hedge my bets if I'm not sure about the guy. If I'm into him, then I'm a little bit more assertive about it but if i'm not then i'm i'm kind of non-committal about his flirtations and like we said told the last guy like i think you try to flirt like there's so many ways you can flirt with a woman or try to like talk to a woman that's not sexually objectifying where all the red pill guys fuck up and all these guys that try to do all the negging and evocative things it's like they start in on something that makes a woman feel on the defensive rather than like you're getting to know her I mean, what I really like as well, and what works with introverts, well, I speak for myself as a semi-introvert in recovery, is also the face is highly expressive as well. So some guys have flirted with me just by by giving me a cheeky smile or a certain look, and that also works as well as a signal. So yeah, use the face too. I don't think there's anything wrong with letting a woman know that you're finding her 
interesting. I do think you should flirt if you are interested in her. I think you're taking the idea that you don't want to creep a woman out that you shouldn't ever express any sexual interest. But the issue is like the way that men express sexual interest typically turns women off because it's predatory and it's porn sick. So you're already doing pretty good because you understand why porn is a problem. So now you're trying to figure out how to flirt with girls without it being like, not in a way that makes her feel gross and objectified, which comes down to you looking at that specific person. This is why lines don't work or when like these guys try to give you, you know, like uh, lines to feed women, because when you flirt with someone, it's specific to them. And a person doesn't want to feel like you're saying something to get in their pants or try to a specific formula of things to say it means you have to actually understand that person, notice that person and then compliment them on something genuine that you like about them. So just think about when you're on a date with a woman, what do you like about her? And don't say her boobs and don't say anything related to her body that makes her feel objectified, but talk about something about her personality, talk about the way she makes you feel, talk about something other than just like the physical sexual attraction. And that is also flirting. Like flirting isn't just like, oh, I want to bang you from behind or whatever type of dumb pornographic dialogue. Flirting is also telling a girl, what's your favorite sex position? That's not flirting. Yeah, exactly. That's what guys think. And that's why they're always messing. But like just saying a girl like, hey, I really feel like whenever I'm around you, I feel like I'm laughing a little harder, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) something like that. Like you make me laugh a little bit harder. This is, you know, something that makes her feel like you're engaging on her and you're flirting with her. You're having experience together and it's not pornographic. Just notice what you like about her. Okay, so then the second question, does pick me culture have any influence on women judging men as dating prospect based on how sexually evocative they are in the first couple of dates? I think he's asking, like, do women judge men as better dates if they're more sexually forward on the the first couple of dates? I don't know. I don't know if it just comes down to like a man like having some kind of confidence. I mean, a lot of times these guys who are successful, like they just hit on everything and then they wear down women's defensive, but I don't really necessarily think that that's like a good thing. Uh, yeah, so that's your, that's the answer to your question. That's it. That's all you get. That's all you get. Thanks for your money. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So thanks, Groats. Go forth and be better in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be shitty. Stop being shitty. Don't be shitty. Actually, you know what? The guys who send us a question, at least they're listening to our podcast. At least they're, uh, you know... They're trying. Giving us money. They're trying. You know, this is a step in the right direction. So I'm willing to give him a cookie for that. Good boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's our show. Check us out on our website at thefemaledatingstrategy.com. Discuss this episode in the forum. Also follow us on Twitter at fem.strat and on our Instagram at underscore thefemaledatingstrategy.com. And if you want to submit your own roast discroat or scroat strike back or queen shit story to be read aloud on the podcast like we did on this episode go to our patreon patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy thanks for listening queens and for all you scroats out there uh sign up for our patreon so you can level up your dating life and get your questions half answered get your questions half ass answered <laughs> <laughs> great sales pitch based on how we're feeling that day yeah <laughs> if we decide to come around to it if we decide to grace you with our attention with our attention that day. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. See y'all next week.